Imagine That Studios presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 5 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Oh, Wellington, look, I think this is another one of yours. In fact, this is to do with that lovely ghost you met in New York City. Ah, Bettina, yes, quite a sweet girl, and she has done some invaluable work. Much nicer than the usual ghosts we deal with. Yes, quite different from those Christmas ghosts we encountered. Oh, that takes me back. It wasn't that long ago. Well, in the early days of our partnership... Easy... Time seemed to go slower. Hmm. And now? You know what they say. Oh, how time flies when you're having fun. Hmm. Good save there, Welly. Well, I learned a thing or two along the way. Now, let me see what that report has to say. The New Recruit and the Haunted Bridge by Liana Renee Heber New York City, 1889 Now that she knew she was dead, Bettina Spinett wasn't sure if she had slept at all. Her spectral senses noted only that there was now sun glinting off the partially transparent shimmer of what she noted was her hand as she turned it before her face. Time had to have elapsed, As it had been night, the last time she recalled, the shutters of the room she was in were partially open to reveal a corner of Gramercy Park, that famed patch of gated land in mid-Manhattan where old money faced a square of old tradition. But the secret office in a nondescript townhouse was hardly traditional. Her well-worn boots floated half an inch off the Persian carpets inside the New York outpost of the O.S.M., the Office of the Supernatural and Metaphysical, the American wing of the British-led Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Bettina's spirit had lingered in haunting the parlor, a long room lined with file cabinets sporting the latest technologies and inventions rather than fine furniture. After accepting her appointment as a spectral agent, the whirring of the machines atop desks and cabinets was a mechanical chorus, Telegraphs, meters, recorders, and timers, things ticked and talked, whispered and extruded information on small slips of paper on a turning spindle of numbers. The contraptions preoccupied her for an indefinite period, their sounds and robotic motions mesmerizing. She would have to grow accustomed to what time, rest, hunger was like in this incorporeal existence. The basic needs that had driven her sense of mortal survival could not be counted upon in this state. What would her essence now need to feed it to be sure she stayed in solid enough form to be a conscious, sentient, conversant, viable operative? What would her essence now need to feed it to be sure she stayed in solid enough form to be a conscious, sentient, conversant, viable operative? An accented voice sounded at the threshold of the open pocket doors calling for her. Mr. Wellington Thornhill Books, Esquire, described to her by the matron of the office as an imperious librarian, stood at the doors, looking smart 
in a brown frock coat and a black waistcoat, his neckwear a bit undone. Bettina recalled that he was here from London on holiday, but he'd been doing a great deal of work besides. "'Are you there, Miss Spinnett?' Books looked around the room, missing her the first time, even though she lifted her hand in a meek wave. "'I know you're there. Come on, now.' Books squinted. She tried to will herself stronger, more solid, more bold, alive, as much as she could be. "'Yes, sir, here and reporting for duty,' she replied nervously, but her palm gained a bit of opaque color. Book's studious gaze pinpointed her as if, as if she had stepped out from around a corner or out from shadow. His triumphant smile upon sight of her made her feel all the more vibrant. "'Ah, there, yes, good, there you are. You flickered there for a moment, and we can't have that.' The man of letters and business, and efficiently, barreled on, his London accent giving his words a crisp bounce as he regaled her. I've been thinking through the night, and I believe something that research and development has been working on can help you. While I can think of countless advantages to having an incorporeal operative, able to waft through closed doors, windows, and straight through walls, and there may be a call for that, I don't want you to lose yourself entirely in these first few days. Mrs. Marsh would grow positively distract without you. She's terribly fond of you, right out of the gate. At this, Bettina was quite moved, and she smiled so wide it seemed to stop books a moment, as if the depth of genuine sentiment was as much fascinating as it was foreign. He blinked and quickly recovered his neutral, unaffected demeanor. While we'd been developing an invisibility cloak for one of our operatives, Books continued, I think a visibility cloak for you would work quite nicely. He went to the wood-paneled wall and pressed a protruding knob on the molding. A closet whooshed into view, the panel sliding back in an automatic pocket door. Inside were coats of several kinds, frock coats of different colors, a lavish velvet cloak, and a few waistcoats and leather harnesses. Books pulled from the back a very light, nearly transparent piece, a full-length coat on a metal hanger, and held it before Bettina. With the effects of visibility in mind, I reversed the polarity of this invisibility coat. But first, see it in action, he said with all the excitement of a little boy with a favorite toy. He pressed a button on the cuff of the coat. Small panels shifted across its surface as if it were closing a shutter and the coat seemed to disappear, blending with the area behind it. Bettina could only see a slight outline of where the coat had been, a small area around the index finger where books held the coat hadn't turned its panels, so a hint of golden sheen sparkled around that point. See here? Invisibility. But now? He fumbled down the cuff, the air wafting interestingly as the camouflage was rustled to press the cuff again, with a small whooshing flap as if a great owl's wings were extended into a wind. The small golden scales reversed and the coat came into full golden shimmering view. "'That's magnificent, sir,' Bettina exclaimed, but she bit her lip suddenly. "'Although are not the OSM and the Ministry secret operations, this is quite a flashy coat.' Ah, Books frowned. Good point. Well, other than that, what do you think? She considered this golden wonder and felt like Joseph must have felt in the biblical stories being given such an incredible gift. Hopefully she wouldn't be the envy of the spirit world like Joseph and his coat of many colors was to his brothers. 
I'm speechless, sir. It is generous of you to invest in me, and this is an honor to wear. I also think it looks rather smashing, if I had the figure for it. He poked at the fabric to see it shimmer. She giggled. Yes, it is meant for you, he grinned. Do be careful how much attention you attract with it. Will do, sir. I can adjust it, depending on my situation. Good. Very good. Books reached out to clap Bettina on her shoulder, and the coat shimmered like a rustling of wings, and she felt her form flicker, too. At this, Books looked a bit horrified. Oh, sorry. Don't want to disrupt you. I'll have to get used to the physics of you, really. Another fascinating course of study. If you don't mind, that is. Nothing improper, of course. Science. For science, Bettina said, enjoying that Books gained a bit of flush to his pale cheek. They were joined by a severe presence at the parlor threshold. The widow, Mrs. Marsh, looking stern and severe in a dark blue dress that looked like a police matron's uniform, entered with a slip of paper in her hand. "'Good morning,' she said, offering a partial smile to her colleagues before continuing, a gravity to her tone. "'I see we're starting off Bettina's appointment with quite a bang,' Marsh said, handing books the paper. The man's eyes widened. "'Oh,' he rubbed his chin. "'Extremely high alert,' Mrs. Marsh nodded grimly. Mrs. Marsh nodded grimly. "'What's that?' Bettina asked. "'A dear friend of mine is a gifted psychic,' Marsh explained. At this, Books made a disdainful face. Marsh seemed to address his skepticism as much as she felt the need to inform Bettina. "'She lets me know when she feels that the city is in a particular danger or dark time. "'This was just slid under our door. "'It is the highest alert she's put us on, but has offered us no specifics. "'Psychic phenomena is not reliable. It is not a science. "'But I do trust my friend's gifts, and I know she does not warn us lightly.' "'Any indication of the nature of the threat?' Book asked, clearly frustrated. Is it something this office is equipped to handle? There's a reason she slipped this under our door and not the police precinct. She advises for them too, you know. Her warning, I fear, may be specifically for you to discern, my dear. Here, Marsh turned to Bettina. The matron opened her palm to reveal a beautiful metal dragonfly a device used to record spirits that Bettina had used in her first foray on behalf of the OSM. It was a delicate brass filigree device with lights and sensors crafted to count numbers of spirits in a given location and to notate the atmospheric conditions around them. A red light blinked in the middle of the thorax, a setting she had not seen before. I recharged the dragonfly last night, Marsh stated. Notice this gauge by where it is flashing. Bettina peered close and swallowed hard. The crimson light blinked over a lever marked imminent threat. Books peered down at it, too, adjusting his wire-framed glasses and frowning. He moved quickly to another panel on the wall and pressed a part of the molding. On a stand within a black interior cabinet sat a large brass gun with a wide blunderbuss barrel and a glass cage contraption affixed to the chamber. Research and development happens also to have been working on a ghostly containment and neutralization device. He stopped explaining the device as Bettina felt her mouth fall open in horror and the same look crossed Mrs. Marsh's face. She was a ghost, Bettina thought, feeling her form flicker again, at which Mrs. Marsh wrung her hands. Would that be used against her if someone didn't know she was a ministry operative? 
She had to think quick to suggest an alternative to weaponry. I'll go out and get a read on the spectral plane, Bettina offered. I'll see if fellow spirits know anything about it, like animals fleeing before a storm. Perhaps ghosts might be more aware of danger than the living? Brilliant, Books exclaimed. Yes, the, the, the gun would prove a last resort, of course, he assured, but Bettina found herself unable to relax. I'd much rather put your phantasmagorical instincts to the test. Where is the greatest concentration of specters thus far, in your experience? Well, Bettina considered, the area around the Brooklyn Bridge, sir, is terribly haunted. Such a mass might, in time, adversely affect the living. This is New York City, and we already have too many people downtown. I wonder if we have too many ghosts. When is too many of both? Excellent questions. Have at. Take the dragonfly reader and the coat. Remember to be careful with both. Of course, sir. Equipment on and in hand, she descended the stoop after a quiet, fond farewell from Mrs. Marsh at the front door. The widow lost a daughter much like her, and Bettina was all the more tethered to the office and to the living for this rejuvenating bond that filled dark and empty voids for them both. The magnificent coat swished around the layers of her plain linen dress, a modest outfit she would likely be wearing forever as the clothing in which she died, and the dragonfly sat safely inside a small wooden box with a handle. The sun was bright on this fine day as she headed east and southerly, from Grand Mercy's fine townhouses and the world changed drastically to the overcrowded Lower East Side slums, where the living and the dead who couldn't move on teemed narrow, cobbled Manhattan streets. The magnificent, unprecedented Brooklyn Bridge magnetized her. She would compare today's readings to what she had gathered before to see if any differences could account for the imminent threat. Rather than floating up and on to the vast span. Due to the coat and the tactile items she sported, she needed to keep her feet on the ground, so she traveled south of Collect Pond, south of the infamous Five Points, and on to Park Row, where the country's foremost newspapers churned out the world's latest news. From there, she strolled to the mouth of the bridge's pedestrian walkway and adjusted the setting of her coat to a neutral luminosity as passers-by, living and dead, buffeted about her. Nearing the edge of the great trusses, Bettina heard the dragonfly from within its box wake up and begin counting. There were spirits everywhere along the vast span of the bridge, below and above, hovering amidst the great coils of wire rope. Roebling's suspension system was unlike anything the world had ever entertained. Spirits darted between the two great Gothic arches in each of the two towers, as if those structures were portals allowing more spirits through. Perhaps they were. There was much to learn about the way her city and the structures within it interacted with worlds beyond. At the mouth of the Manhattan side of the footbridge was a person with lovely sculpted features and light brown curls and tight spirals, left a little longer than was in fashion, a soul out of time, in a long white shirtwaist kept untucked over breeches and drawn in by a dark sash. The exterior of the ensemble was a long gray coat that matched the hazel eyes that pierced Bettina when she was confronted with a spirit's stare. The body before her was ever so slightly transparent, but was the same vibrant, otherworldly color that all specters appeared to her eye as if they were lit brilliantly. 
While the living might see the dead in dim mists, shadow, and grayscale, she saw her kind in full spectrum. It was an incredible expression of kinship that she saw a fellow spirit as if it were grander than any other human form. Hello there. Quite a coat you've got on. The hazel eyes squinted in distinct discernment. Are you one of us, we spirits, drawn to this bridge? Hello. I suppose I am, Bettina replied. The coat was made so that I might be able to pass as one of the living and not, well, float away. Fascinating, the new acquaintance replied. I've been known most of my living and my afterlife as Stargazer, but you can just call me Star. Pleasure to meet you, Mr. Star. No mister about it, just Star, if you please. And you... Bettina Spinett, star, pleasure to make your acquaintance. Spinett like the piano. Well, with another N and T, but pronounce the very same. Bettina smiled and felt more solid. Always loved playing a spinet, star exclaimed. Mum and Dad had one in their theater before it... Star looked away. Bettina didn't pry. Any number of tragedies could be the reason why star haunted the riverbank. How long have you been a spirit, do you mind me asking? Star prompted. To tell you the truth, I don't know, Bettina replied with a shrug. The other day I asked for a job, and the two people at the office I visited, well, I seemed very real and alive to them. It was only when I was working with the equipment that we realized I was dead. If I don't think about being a ghost, if I concentrate on life as I know it and everything that I'm passionate about, I'm more dimensional, less of a wisp. Passion as a sign of life. I like that, Star said, full lips curving into a wide smile. Star's arresting hazel eyes turned to the arches of the bridge. I'm nothing if not passionate, but my head's in the clouds. Got the name Stargazer because I was always looking up, divining messages from the stars, studying constellations and astronomy to answer life's every problem. Infamous in the five points, folks would come to me for guidance, and I'd advise those who hung around in the audience after my parents' dancing shows. A psychic, then? Bettina asked excitedly. She was helplessly intrigued by the mystical, never so much as now, when she'd turned up ghostly. It was Star's turn to shrug. Sometimes I'd take folks walking to contemplate human existence, Star stated, gesturing that Bettina might join in that very activity. She did, her tread just barely touching the footbridge walk as the living and the dead unconsciously gave them room. New York swept down and away from them dramatically. The teeming city and all its sooty, busy industry was in full display. The workers who stoked the sleepless fires along the waterfronts and out onto the harbor made for an intricate swarm of activity. Plumes of steam and factory exhalations of fire and ash made the city seem like a nest of great beasts, small human beings scurrying around between the scales of behemoth monsters. But nothing was so behemoth as this great bridge an awe-inspiring feat of engineering and vision. It made the living and the dead gape as one. I made my living divining, Star began, peering at the passers-by, taking advantage of the fact that people always want to know things about themselves they can't see for themselves. People want a mirror. They'd pay me to be one. My parents' dance hall taught me how to entertain, and that's a help in my line of work. I did really want to help, Star continued. 
but I also wanted to push every limit, theirs and mine. One night, I came up on this bridge before it was finished. I was too daring. There were too many places to trip. The companion who had accompanied me in a soul-searching walk stayed back near the mouth, but I wanted to touch the moon. It seemed so close. I reached up. I drank in the sky. And then I just fell away. I flew. And then there was a terrible cracking sound as if thunder broke me open, and I realized that distinct sound was my body, the roaring crash of a soul leaving a body, a wrenching, enormous sound, then the most deafening silence of any imagining. Star looked up to the sky, trailing off. Bettina was breathless at this recounting. She turned her head to watch the clouds a moment. I had no idea I was dead, Bettina said finally. I had to be told. I'd been ill at the orphanage I was raised in, and I was told it was time for me to go. Sister Anne must have actually told my spirit it was time to move on, but I thought of it as moving out. I roamed looking for work. When I found it, then came to the realization I wasn't alive after all. I almost faded in the shock of it. I'd not have been able to hold on at all save for the matron of the office. She begged me to stay, convinced me to believe in my own reality. Amazing what someone believing in your existence can do. Star smiled wistfully at this before asking, What kind of office do you work at that they can employ a ghost? I'm not allowed to say really, Bettina said, then whispered, It's a secret kind of ministry. Oh, well, that makes me want to ask all the questions now. I'm gathering information, Bettina clarified, about ghosts. How will that information be used? Star asked sharply, to help or hinder spectral cause. Bettina blinked, worried she had somehow offended. Star was so interesting, a person who was more than a mere spirit, a person who defied living categorization and demanded the same in death. I, to be helpful in general, I'm sure, Bettina replied. How could data be used otherwise? You and I come from different sides of this city, then. Well, what makes you say that? She countered with the same biting edge. I led a hard life. I don't suppose skin color matters now, does it? Star said with a mordant chuckle. Sure did in life. It was hard for my parents at the theater. Mum was black, da Irish. And the five points, that wasn't uncommon. A place where everyone struggled, those seeking a place to survive, came and fought more together than they ever fought against one another, despite what the old riots led one to believe. Star continued with a distinct pain. The offices of the city, police districts, everything left us for dead before they started clearing the area out, as they threatened to do many times. Any information taken about the area was always used against us by this that or the other group. Charities cropped up to save us from ourselves and took every superiority. Even though we were the most resilient, adaptable people, even though we were a cultural mecca, we were a stain on the city. Poverty across many different backgrounds can make for some amazingly adaptive creativity, art, and life. But we were thought a danger nonetheless. Bettina couldn't help but think about the red light and the imminent threat. She had to fight the idea that spirits were a danger. She knew better. I don't doubt the cultural capital of your home, 
Bettina offered. You carry that vibrancy beyond death, Bettina said. It's beautiful. That's what I'm here to document, to declare that spirits aren't to be feared, but are beautiful and fascinating. I want to know everyone's story, that's all. I want this city to be a place for everyone, no matter what or where they come from. Something of this calmed and heartened Star. Why do so many haunt the bridge? Bettina asked. Why do you haunt here? I don't haunt here exclusively, Star replied. I wander just as I did in life, but something is drawing a great deal of spirits out to the bridge today. What is it, do you think? Bettina asked, deciding against mentioning the threat level as she wasn't to speak of official OSM business. Any idea why today is unusual? It seems there's an unprecedented amount of spirit activity here on the bridge. Star thought a moment, looking at Bettina with a sudden wariness. You know, they opened this bridge... On Queen Victoria's birthday, six years ago today, Star Star stated. An auspicious day, Bettina replied. Star's mesmeric eyes narrowed. You would say that, wouldn't you? Not knowing any better. Working for them. What do you mean? A ministry? We don't have ministries here, unless it's a church, Star said with a bite. You're working for Brits. Well, one of them, yes, Bettina explained. There's a tie to a supervising agency across the pond. Why is that a problem? We're no longer at war. One doesn't have to be at war to feel the sting of the British Empire. Mum was Irish. Relations worsened drastically through her lifetime. So many of my Irish relatives helped build this bridge, many dying on or under it. That opening day was a hard spit in the face, a blow to those hard, laboring hands. Well, I hadn't thought about that, Bettina murmured. Star made a harumphing noise and drifted further down the bridge between the two great towers. That's why there's a surge today. Star stated, gazing up again at the skies, a fresh wave of spirits wafted up around them. The spirits who have been studiously ignored, their lives taken for granted, those who died building this bridge and in all the city's major dangerous endeavors, those who came here seeking refuge and those who have been abandoned by the city, those who found squalor where they'd been promised streets of gold, there is a critical mass, a massing. Well, how do we stop it? Bettina asked. Star looked horrified. You want to get rid of your own kind? No, Bettina exclaimed, thinking of her own horror at seeing that spectral gun in the offices. I want to help the city, the living and the dead. Can there be some sort of peace offering to make grievances heard? Her mind spun, thinking of ideas, wishing there was some sort of ritual that would help, a different dedication. Her eyes lit and her coat shimmered with a new vibrancy. A rededication! She exclaimed, let's let the spirits run roughshod by the insults and injuries of this bridge. Take it over today in a celebration of their own. See that man with the bagpipe? She gestured to a spirit with a phantom instrument to his lips, a wheezing distant drone in the air. There was another man in shirt sleeves with a drum, a woman with a fiddle, another spirit, a child carried a banner, another was a flag. Strike up the band? Star asked, a heady force stirring in those hazel eyes that made Bettina crave the spirit's divination. Well, that's an idea. It's a good one. And I'll document everything, 
Bettina replied, lifting up the small case. I have a recording device, so their efforts won't go unheard of. Their celebration won't go unseen. If I've learned one thing about spirits in my limited time of being one, it's that every soul wants to be heard and seen, and that makes everything better. Acknowledgement of life, honoring life, does make all the difference, Star agreed. Bettina nodded, and suddenly Star grabbed her hand and they lifted up into the sky as if flying. Star's voice, booming and commanding like a carnival barker, got the attention of every spirit on the span of the bridge and floating around it. My spectral compatriots, your unrest is clear. Your wounds shall not go unhealed. I feel your worries as my own. I champion your causes as mine. I am here to tell you that on this difficult day, those who know this bridge's history, here has come an angel direct from the heavens to address you. See her in her radiant golden garment. Bettina took her theatrical cue and pressed the button on her cuff, and the coat shimmered its scales in an undulating pattern. Ghosts goggled and gasped at this, giving Bettina a distinct blush, but a rush of pleasure. It was clear Star had been in the business of holding people in thrall, as there was never so compelling an invitation as to that which was being offered. Rededicate this bridge. Ye who haunt these suspended planks, I know you may be in the mood to tear it down stone by stone and wire by wire. I feel the unrest. I understand. I ask you to make this bridge your own in this world and the next. Celebrate accomplishments and accolades as you would wish. Show New York the breadth of your hearts, not the bitterness that would keep you tethered here. I know well this city can disenfranchise as much as it develops. Lay down your burdens and rejoice in what comes with joyful noise— that was more than Bettina may have ever said in one sitting, but being with Star made Bettina bolder. Star approved by way of applause, and the ghosts seemed eager to take up this cause. With a bit of rushing, diving, and swooshing of spirits and colorful whirlwinds, there came a procession of undulating sight and sound. Bettina brought the dragonfly out and began recording. The weight of worry and dread that had pulled Bettina to this iconic structure now turned in an alchemical shift, as if the good of mankind was waiting for a chance, needed a reminder about what was possible and beautiful in the world. Music. The music was transcendent. Any spirit with an instrument played it, everyone in a strange tune with one another, as if the spectral plane created a harmony, as music shifted from anthems to sea shanties to celebratory hymns of every stripe. The music brought forth even more spirits, waves of them wafted to the bridge in a symphony of thousands tuned by an otherworldly bond. It was a simple concept, really, encouraging authentic expression, but it made all the difference. There was a heightened luminosity about the proceedings, and some spirits just brightened into pure light. At this, Bettina was breathless. Perhaps some sacred, beloved tunes sent spirits straight to rest— there was dancing and all manner of processing. A great spectral party bid the dead celebrate what made them so vibrant in life. The dragonfly clicked and whirred, its wings humming, its counter turning, golden green and white lights flashing. The red threatening button on the dragonfly no longer blinked. Instead, the device was all glimmering lights and ticking numbers. Star looked down at the device and then at Bettina, studying both. I'd say mission accomplished, Star said. Bettina nodded. Thank you so much. I know I was meant to meet you. I've been drawn to this bridge since becoming a spirit, and now I understand why. I think I'll always be drawn to what aches to be heard. Star smiled. I know you mean the bridge, but I appreciate your ear, too. 
this city is better for you in your office then if this kind of understanding and validation is what you seek to accomplish. Bettina felt a sudden dizziness, and her form flickered suddenly. Star's bright hazel eyes widened in worry. Her magnificent coat shimmered in response, attuned to her now, demanding she reassert her own vibrancy. But the truth was she was very, very tired. She needed to get this information back to the office, lest she blink out and, in fading, drop the dragonfly and shatter it. I don't have much time, Bettina said urgently. Not safely. I haven't paced myself well today. I'll escort you back. Come. Star touched her elbow, and she felt her feet lift off the ground. Cradling the dragonfly safely in her arms, they flew back towards Gramercy Park and alighted at the stoop of the nondescript building that she wasn't supposed to know was there, but her spectral sight had cut right through the OSM's spectra veil. Star wasn't fooled by the camouflage either, noting the same nondescript townhouse with the office initials in a plaque out front. Come, I'll introduce you, Bettina gestured to the front door. Star hung back. You go on. With... All due respect to my mother's Irish blood, I, I'd rather not involve myself with a British agency. What I told you about the bridge, it still rankles. I'm sorry about that. Star shrugged. No, don't be sorry. Your companionship today was truly a gift. Thank you for taking me at spirit value, letting me be me. I felt human for the first time in a while. That's a priceless treasure. Come find me at the bridge again if you like. I would like. Star beamed. Next time, Bettina Spinnet. I'll have to take you dancing. Bettina laughed delightedly, and Star seemed as taken aback at this as Mr. Books had been. It would seem her smile had a power to it. Until next time, Star murmured. Bettina curtsied and turned to the office. She turned and nearly allowed herself to vanish through the front door, but she remembered she had tactile items with her that would not pass through undamaged. So she fumbled the key in the lock, turning back to find her new friend had faded away. For now. Mrs. Marsh at the reception desk was very glad to see Bettina back, and as the woman stepped into the instrument-filled parlor, Bettina regaled her with everything that had happened. The dragonfly printed out its findings on a ticker, and it was very good of books to have put the largest of spools on the spindle as the printing took a full half hour to complete, the seemingly unending strip of paper trailing away from the cabinet's edge to create a massive pool upon the floor. Everyone stared at the mass in awe. "'That is a lot of spirits,' books said." The bridge was indeed a critical level of haunting, sir, but along with the help of a new spirit friend, we turned it into a festival and managed to call out thousands by offering to heal an old wound, Bettina said. She wasn't sure if she should say any more, but Books clearly by his expression expected her to elaborate. The Brooklyn Bridge celebrated its opening on Queen Victoria's birthday, she added. Well, yes, of course, Books said with pride. The bulk of the bridge was built by Irishmen. Countless numbers worked and many died on or under the bridge. I needn't tell you that relations are strained. Yes, I hadn't thought of that, to be honest, Books replied. She thought of Star and answered simply, Empires often don't. Books frowned. Mrs. Marsh piped in. How did you lure spirits to the bridge? What salve was offered? A rededication of the bridge, honoring those who worked and died upon it their families, anyone the bridge displaced in building its towers and eaves on the spirit's own terms. Then the event became more than just the bridge, but all who left the city for dead. There was music, processing, and dancing. A profound rift was healed. I could feel it. And we didn't have to break out the big guns, Books exclaimed, and Bettina held back a shudder. Well done. That sounds rather lovely. I'd like to have seen it, Mrs. Marsh replied. Books gestured to the pool of paper. You do see it in a way. 
You're good at interpreting data, Mrs. Marsh. Help us make sense of it for the record books and how we might be able to imitate such an event should a spectral tidal wave again be upon us. Of course, Mrs. Marsh said with distinct pride, turning to Bettina with a smile. My dear, would you write up a report? I can see numbers, but I'd like to see the experience through your eyes. You've a unique perspective that we can all learn from. We'll get you a case book, something solid, and take that desk in the corner. Marsh gestured to a dainty wooden writing desk with thin shelves separated by carved wooden dowels. That will be yours exclusively. The more your spirit is tied to it, the stronger your, your reports will be, ringing of rich detail. Bettina nodded eagerly and sat at her new post, vaguely floating at first, but she sensed the structure of the wooden arms of the chair and the texture of the leather seat beneath her, and she sunk a bit. The fountain pen felt solid in her hand as she grasped it and looped careful script onto paper. Bettina noted in her report that the spectral realm was a distinctly personal one, not to be taken broadly, but individually. She hoped Mrs. Marsh's insistence on science over magic wouldn't mind the bit of postscript, she added at the end, that to her mind, the possibilities of ghosts felt wholly magical, and she was eager to keep recording for as long as she could manage the complex, resilient, ineffable, inextinguishable wonders of the human spirit for all time. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Operation Endgame and the Curse of the Silver Pharaoh. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. An Imagine That Studios production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank Thank you you for for listening. listening.